Sweden. So the title of my lesson this morning is Rebuilding Bridges. And we're going to start in Genesis 1. So we'll be going through Closer Than a Brother, the book, on Wednesdays. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach from the book. Uh, it's like, you know, not to blaspheme or anything. We're going to preach from the Bible. We're going to use the book as a tool to help guide us through the scriptures. Amen. But we'll use the book as that guide on Wednesdays. Sunday, uh, we're going to go through 1 John. And this whole same theme of what does it really mean to be closer than a brother. Um, And we're actually going to start in Genesis 1 because it has a lot to do with what we're talking about this morning. How are your relationships? How are your friendships? Who's your best friend? Who's your closest friend? Think of someone with whom you used to be friends, but something came up and now you're no longer friends. Think of a brother in the church. Maybe you used to be close. Now you're not. Something happened, some friction happened, a disagreement, and now you no longer maybe associate. Uh, This happens quite often. Uh, It happens in the world, and let's not be deluded. It happens in the church as well. Um, And in fact, if we were to study it out, it would be a quite depressing study, but we could study out all the times that churches have split throughout history. It's a lot. Hundreds of thousands of churches in America, many thousands of denominations. Why? Because people along the way had a disagreement, got their feelings hurt, had, a, had a, some kind of discord, and they split. And they said, you go worship over there, I'll worship over here, and just we'll be cool, you know, we'll agree to disagree. Is that God's will? Was it God's will? Is it still God's will? You know, when you get on the grounds this week and you go to JMU, you're going to bump into a lot of people who say, I'm Christian, and you're going to say, oh, awesome, let's have a Bible study together. And they're going to say, no, I'm already part of one. Right? So there's an the- interesting theology there. I'm already part of a church. I already, I'm already set with my faith. I don't need you. So, and we're okay with that to a certain extent. We actually, and not just, that doesn't just happen outside this room. It happens in, inside this room, too. I already have my little group. I already have, you know, and even within this room, we can have discord. And perhaps it's not so overt, like, it's not like we don't say it, like, hey, I'm done with you. We just sit maybe a few tables away. Or we just avoid them, or we don't really talk about it. Or we have anger, but don't know we're angry. And then we act angry, and they're like, why? I'm not not mad, but you are mad. Your body language is super mad. It's super angry. And so we got to really take a good hard look at this, because this is what... John is dealing with in 1 John. His, a few of his churches that he's overseeing have, have split. And there's nothing more devastating or discouraging than when someone walks away from the faith. Or think about actually, and as horrible as this is, think about actually the church splitting. A group of people leaving. And this happens. This is not unusual. This has happened this year. It has happened in our family of churches. It has happened everywhere in any kind of denomination. It's happening all the time. But think about the pain that goes along with that and what, what you would feel. And John, that's what he's trying to address in 1 John is how do you go about restoring, rebuilding these bridges? How do you go about healing? Because as, as much as we want to always be deep and connected, and we, we all want that, right? We want to have deep, connected relationships. But we've got to deal with the sin before we can have those deep relationships. The world does a couple things. And this is what the actual, I'll call, I might call them the secessionists. You know, we're pretty far removed from the Civil War, so I don't know if I hit any, uh, you know, uh, hit any nerves. But the secessionists in First John's church, basically the people who seceded, they left. 
they started, a, they started to view things differently. And mainly they started to believe that Jesus wasn't really who he said he was. Then the next thing that came, and this is pretty obvious, what usually comes when you don't really view Jesus in the right way? Well, you start to have a watered down view of sin. And so what the people started to say, it's weird, the, 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 theology, the theology of it's pretty strange, is the body's bad, the spirit's good. So if my body sins, it's not really me sinning. It's my body. It's my body's fault. You know, bad body. I didn't do it. Body did it. So they have this weird view of sin, and they start to actually make excuses for their sin. And they start to actually use that to puff up their pride and say, we're sinless. We don't have sin. We actually have it figured out. And they had these private revelations about who, who God really was, right? Who God really was. And this is not unusual even for today. If you go ask a Mormon, perhaps, how do I know uh, that the, the Book of Mormon is from God? They say, well, read it. You'll have a revelation and you'll know, right? They're preaching a private revelation in order to know that it's correct, that it's true. It's not the only religion to do that. So we can't for a second think, oh, First John was so long ago. No, it's happening now. Yeah. It still happens now. We still face it now. And we have to come together as a church this morning and take a good hard look at it so that we don't split. So that, or it's not, not just the church, but so within your, your own friendships, your family group, your circle of friends, whatever it's based on. And we've had a lot of things happen in this city that can produce a good amount of this kind of, of building blow-up material. Right? It's really easy to, to, to just say, oh, I'm done, or I'm out, or no more, and to give up on people, or to get our, and we get hurt, and we pull back, and we got to be able to take a good hard look and say, what did they do back then, and what does the Holy Spirit want us to know? On, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know that one, right? What's incredible about Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Bereshit bara Elohim. And so Elohim is God. But it's not actually big God. It's not big G. We get big G because the translators want us to, they want to help us out. But in the original Hebrew, it's saying in the beginning, a God created the heavens and the earth. Right? Now the earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The spirit of a God was hovering over the waters. And a God said, let there be light. So on and so forth. Now what are they doing? And you're going, uh uh-oh. No, Drew, there's not multiple gods out there. What are they doing? Well, if you were reading this in the original language, it would actually build some tension. You'd be like, which God is it? Okay, a God did all of this? Which God did it? And then if you skip forward to chapter 2, verse 4, it says in the Hebrew, the Lord God. Anytime you see Lord in Old Testament, L-O-R-D, all caps, it's Yahweh in the Hebrew, not Elohim. And they're actually, and so if you read all the way to 2-4, you go, oh, of course, it's Yahweh. Yahweh did that. He created the heavens and the earth. He is our God. He is the God above all gods. He is the, str- he is the greatest of all the lords. It's Yahweh. And now let's skip ahead to 1 John chapter 1. First John. Um, if you can't find it, it's right before 2 John. <laughs> And if you can't find 2 John, it's before 3 John. If you can't find 3 John, I don't know what to do for you. 1 John chapter 1. John is trying to say something really, really, really powerful. 1 John 1 verse 1. That which was from the beginning. 
That which was from the beginning. Who? I don't know. That which. That which was from the beginning. Which we have heard. Which we have seen with our eyes. Which we have looked at with our hands and touched. All right, John, what are you up to? He's doing it. He's doing it. We have no subject. We have objects. It'd be like saying, the ball, the handle, the stick, the barbell. Like, Drew, what's he going to do? The big ball, the, the small stick, that which Drew could lift with his bare hands. Oh, now the sentence makes sense, right? Because I gave you a subject and a verb, and it kind of makes sense. But he's just lifting, he's just listing objects. So as you're reading it, you're going, that which was from the beginning. Who was from the beginning? Which we have heard. Who have you heard? Which we have seen with our eyes. Who? Which we have looked at with our hands. We've touched it. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Okay, now we know the, lo- the word, the logos, the, the word is the big word in Greek. It means the logic of God, the airtight argument of God. But we still don't know who that is. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And here it is. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write, to make, we write this to make our joy complete. Now what's John trying to say? And it's simple. When we have problems with each other, when we begin to separate, when we begin to separate ourselves from others who disagree with us. And I'm, I'm going to go here, and it's because it's, it's, it's true, and I've got to preach the truth. Be cool with that? Yeah. What the secessionists could easily be called are progressives or liberals. Taking a liberal stance, now liberal is not always wrong or always right, it just means to take more. Conservative means to, to take, take less. And so they're actually taking a pretty progressive liberal stance on who Christ is. And you have people who are more orthodox, more conservative, saying no. Essentially, you have more people saying, let's go for it. People saying, we can't just go for it. Okay? So we actually have a a split in the church that has to do with their perspective on Jesus Christ. And what's John trying to say is that any problem that we have inherently with one another is first and foremost a problem with Jesus. Wow. Let that sink in for a second. The problem you have with that brother over there has nothing to do with that brother. It is first and foremost a problem that you have with Christ. That is hard. That is tough. Especially when I can tell you that that brother has made a lot of mistakes. That sister, have you met her? She's hard to deal with. That ministry, I don't like going to their Friday night devos because uh, they sing weird songs or they play games I don't like. Or That's the reason I don't go. That's the reason I don't go to midweek. That's the... And he says, hold on one second. John just doesn't jump in and say, okay, let's just, you sit here, you sit here, let's hash it out, point, counterpoint. Who has the, who has the right answer? And sometimes we can think, I'm right. Or we can think, I'm going to persuade the other person. If they could just see things the way I see it, we'd all be okay. They could just have my perspective. They could just have my viewpoint. 
That might not be the case. And so I think something that happens, and this is what happens with the church here. One of the first things to go is when we want to build friendships and we want to avoid ostensibly difficult topics of conversation, we actually water down sin and we water down Jesus. And we think that it'll avoid conflict. Just come over to my house and we'll just watch the game and I won't bring up anything, you know, deep or spiritual or anything. We'll just kind of hang out. And those times are good here and there. But if it's, if it's us avoiding talking about something that will help us go deeper, what we end up having is a lot of associates, a lot of acquaintances, but no real friends. No deep friends. No one to show up when you're sick and bring you that meal. No one, when someone dies in your family, to stay all night in the hospital with you. No one to, to be there, to be deep with you. You just have a bunch of random people in a room with superficial relationships. And believe me, it'd be much easier, and most churches do this, by the way, is you could go to a church and just show up and shake hands, and you don't have to ever get deep. Ever. Even Bible studies are optional. Small groups are optional. Oh, it's all if you want. And what we can end up being is just a superficial, random group of people who sing the same songs and then go home back to our normal lives. And I don't want that. Do you want that? I don't think any of us want that. No, and this is actually a big thing for young people is depression amongst young people is increasing because there's a, a misconception. A, because I think video games are a huge problem, for sure. Talk about that at a different time. But also... Social media, because you have this perception that you have friends on social media. But there's no depth on social media. There's, there's no depth. There's no, real, there's no realness. And any attempt to even try to be real doesn't go well, perhaps, on social media. But you have this perception that you have 2,000 friends. The reality is you have no friends. When you get sick, who of those friends is there for you? Who's connected? Who knows your life? Who's prayed with you? Who's cried with you? And it can be a big problem. And that's why depression is at an all-time high, because you have this perception that, I have all this, but in reality, your heart's still empty. There's a void there that can't be, that can't be met by any amount of, of likes, right? any amount of retweets, right? It'll never be able to, to be... There's no shortcuts for intimacy. There are no shortcuts. It takes time. It takes forgiveness. It takes effort. There's no shortcuts for being closer than brothers. And the church begins to do two horrible things, and that's to water down... Sin and to water down Jesus. And this happens on grounds. This happens at our workplace too. People can say, well, uh, Jesus is a good guy. Even if you were to perhaps just jump in a small group, any small group uh, from, a, from any church, right? What's the temptation? To go look at the Bible and just talk generally about how to be a good person. What's the real difference from you than a Jew? What's the real difference? Well, I serve the poor. They serve the poor. What's the real difference from you than a Muslim? Well, I'm engaged in my community. They're engaged in their community. What's the real difference? Come on, bro. What's the real difference between you and a Mormon, between you? Name it. Fill it in. What's the real difference? And we can get sucked in in a world of pluralism, in a world of liberalism, where everything's the same and everything's equal. We fail to stand out. And we begin to just uh, talk about being a good person. And you know who leaves the conversation? Jesus. When you share your faith about a really fun group you're going to that night, you know who leaves the conversation? Jesus. You might actually, I feel this. You ever feel like you're talking to somebody and you're like, I should share my faith. And you're just nervous to even say the name Jesus. 
Because you're like, it's going to cause some kind of response. Because, oh, I have a great small group and we love serving and we have a worship night and a youth group and encouragement. Oh, all right, I dig all that. We're just there. We just love Jesus. It's like, oh, okay, well, I don't know, right? Jesus, the real Jesus, not the fake Jesus, the real Jesus makes people uncomfortable. Don't, don't, don't follow fake Jesus. The real Jesus makes people uncomfortable. And John is trying to help his church reassess their perspective on Christ. And as we look at this and as we examine this even for ourselves, we have to ask ourselves, have we demoted Jesus? Peter had this problem. We probably remember in Luke 5 when Jesus says, all right, I know you fished all night. I know you're a professional fisherman, but I want you to go back out on the water and cast your nets back into the water for a catch. And Peter says, all right, you know, chief or boss is kind of what he says in the Greek. All right, buddy, I will. Then once they get the fish, he says, away from me, Lord. He's changed. Our perspective of Jesus affects our lifestyle. How do we view Jesus? I think one of the problems of us getting deep with each other is we don't get deep with Jesus. Of course, it's going to be awkward. Of course, I'm going to have a hard time getting, having a deep conversation with Mark Haviland if I haven't gone deep with Jesus on my own. It's just going to be fake. And no one wants fake depth, right? No one wants like, to force it. You've got to go real on your own first. And I think that's the issue is we don't go deep with Christ. We don't get spiritual in our times with Jesus alone. And then the problem is, is encouragement and love in the church is great, but it's not the lifeblood. I can't tell you how many people became Christians at Virginia Tech because they loved the community. The second they graduated, you know how many walked away from Jesus? Too many. Because they love the community, but the second you remove the community, or the second they change community, or the second they lose, have a different community, yeah. it's like, Come on. what is my faith? Come on. Who am I? What do I? That's why when we move, it's hard when you move. Because a lot of your faith is wrapped up in the people around you. Now, that's a great side dish, but the lifeblood of who we are has to come from your personal encounter with Jesus. Listen to what John says. He says, we, look what was, he was from the beginning, which is a big deal. If you think Jesus was just a guy, a human, a good teacher, five words in, wrong. He was from the stinking beginning. What does that mean? It means he was with God when he created the water and the light and the darkness. He's not just some guy. Come on, Drew. He is the manifestation of God. That which was from the beginning. Whom we have heard, whom we have seen, whom we have touched. It's not just, I know about him. It's, I know the guy. Mm. I've had an encounter with him. I know him. You could get on the bus with the same person every day. And you could think a few things about them. Like, I know know what stop they get on. I know what stop they get off. I know what they dress. I kind of overheard their music a few times. But you don't really know them. Until you hear them, until you hear their word. It says Jesus is the word, right? He's the logos. I don't really know that person until I say, hey, where do you live? I actually live quite a ways away. I take two buses and I get on. What kind of music do you like? I heard that you're listening to rock music. Oh, that was just that one time. I actually love jazz. You know, you don't really know somebody until you interact with them. You can know little things about them and kind of deduce and infer, but you don't really know them. And John is saying, listen, listen, we, we know Jesus. We have a personal relationship with Jesus. We've heard him with the senses. We've smelled him like he's, he's with us. We've, we know who he is. 
this life appeared. And he's doing something really kind of sneaky. So the people, remember the secessionists, what do they believe in? They believe in these, these private revelations of who God is. And there's a word for revelation, okay? And it's, uh, and notice who actually writes the book Revelations, this guy. Um, so the word for revelation in Greek is phanero. Uh, and that word is used in verse 2. The life was revealed to us in verse 2. How about later on, uh, right before verse 3, the end of verse 2? And has appeared to us or revealed, it's been revealed to us. You know what he's saying? You want a revelation? I'll give you a revelation. It's Jesus. And we've met him. It's not some weird dream you had at night where God said, oh, you, know, you want to really know me? Here's the secret. No, we all have access to truth. We all have access to revelation. And guess where it is? Guess who it is? It's here. It's Jesus. It's in our Bibles. We have access to get to know him and love him. You want a revelation? You're, you're, you're actually sowing discord in the church because you're making people feel inferior that they haven't experienced what you've experienced. We all have access to Jesus. And that's an incredible thing. A lot of people, and what's special about that is a lot of people, especially on academics, they want this airtight, logical argument that Jesus, that God, that Christianity is real and true. If you even just take philosophy for one course, you'll realize that we, we, don't, we don't have an airtight argument for anything in this world. I can't prove to you right now that I'm not a butterfly dreaming about being a preacher. I can't prove that to you. It could be the case. So we can't prove it. We all want an airtight argument, right? But we don't have it for anything. But what we have, the, log, the logos, the logic of God, was not put into some argument, some scroll, some scroll to give down to somebody, hey, follow these commands, or here's the Bible, do this, or the Quran, here, do this. All of the religions were given commands. We were given an airtight person. We weren't given a list of commands, demands, things to follow, precepts. We were given an airtight person. And that is our God. Our God is not, he's not about making us do stuff for him. Our God is about love. And let me explain how. For God and his manifestation, if he really was from the beginning, if he's all powerful and created the heavens and the earth, to put himself in the, in, into a person, to become fully divine, fully human, yeah. it is risky. It is vulnerable. It is painful. Story we all, a lot of us know, 1964, a woman named Kitty Genovese. She was in New York City, and she was mugged, and she was robbed uh, uh, at night. And she screamed really loud. And a lot of people heard it and saw her scream. And the, 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 the guy mugging her actually took a step back and thought that there was going to be intervention, but nobody came. So he killed her, finished the job, and then left. And Kitty died. And there was a New York Times article written about Kitty and how, how many people actually saw her and heard her scream, but nobody left the apartment. Why? Because it's risky. It's vulnerable. I could die. I could get hurt. I could be rejected. I could, I could lose everything. They, what, if, what, if, what if I get down there and I don't, I, don't even, I don't even succeed? I don't save her. You know what's amazing about God is God left the apartment. That's right. God saw us scream. He saw us struggle. He saw us be addicted to pornography. He saw us struggle with arrogance and pride and try to find, try to find our whole life in a man or a woman. Try to find success in school. Try to find success in some political plan or, or legislative, uh, legislation of some sort. God saw us scream and he said, no, I'm going to go down there myself. I'm going to leave the apartment. I'm going to become Jesus. And this is why any struggle with each other is first and foremost a struggle with Jesus. Yeah. Because when we see Jesus, 
all God, all human, becoming vulnerable, him coming down, not to tell others, do this, do that, but simply to say, come follow me. Mm. Not to come down to boss people around, but to work hard as a stonemason till the age of 30. Not to come down just to receive, but to give. Not to come down to call the successful people who are, you know, who are going to surround him with money and comfortability. But he comes down and calls Matthew a tax collector. He comes down and calls Zacchaeus another traitor. He comes and touches a mentally unstable prostitute named Mary Magdalene. He loves her. He brings people in. He's rejected. He's often misunderstood. He's often struggling with his group of guys. He came to love and be patient. Now, he was honest. We've got to be honest with each other. Speak the truth in love. Jesus was honest with Peter, but he, he always forgave him. Remember Peter's big mistake, right? To deny Jesus three times. And we, the second we see them back together in John 21, what does Jesus do? He goes, feed my lambs. Feed my, you know what, Peter? You're still my guy. Doesn't throw it in his face. Doesn't say, I knew you'd fail, Peter. I knew you'd, I came down from heaven and I knew people would be just like you. But he doesn't. He says, Peter, you're still my guy. And perhaps the best example of Christ's vulnerability is to choose Judas as one of his apostles. To love Judas and treat him no differently than anybody else for three years. To the point where at the Last Supper, nobody has any idea who the traitor is. Jesus loves equally. He loves deeply. He reciprocates. Jesus is vulnerable. He is truth. And you know what? He is the word of life because that is what life is is us not just going around looking for what's most comfortable what's best what's most successful trying to die with the most things right but actually us having deep meaningful true reciprocated relationships with one another because of our relationship with christ how am i doing we're doing good they did a study, uh, a longitudinal study in Harvard. They, uh, all these men were very successful, very wealthy. When they died, 90% of these men said their biggest regret in life was they didn't have close friendships. We've seen it over and over and over again. God is trying to give us what we crave the most. But we have to not be afraid to go there, church. We can't be fearful of what if they reject me? What if I'm really honest about my past? Jesus knows your past. And he's accepted you. What if they treat me different? Jesus will never treat you different. Jesus has already come to you, already died for you. You could walk away now. He still died for you. That's unconditional. That's beautiful. No matter what happens to you, no matter how ugly or dirty or nasty it gets and how fearful you get that you're not going to be accepted or loved by Christ, all you have to do is look back and say, man, that which was from the beginning, I've, I've seen him. I've had quiet times. I've I've, I've heard him. I've prayed. I've had deep prayer times. He changed my life. I've experienced him. And he is my life. He is everything that's important to me. And that is when we can really become deep with one another. Because, you know, when you're there, and it's tough to get there, but when you get there, you're able to actually overlook the offense of your brother. When he inevitably fails you, and he will, because he ain't Jesus. When he fails you again, you can say, bro, I forgive you. When your sister fails again and messes up and says that joke that you told her a hundred times, it is not cool, it is offensive, it is closed-minded, and you do not appreciate it, but she messed up again, instead of cutting her off, you can say, Sister, I forgive you. And I'm going to hang in there with you, and I've got to be honest with you, hurt my feelings again, but I, I love you, and I know you're my sister. 
We're able to actually be truthful and loving. And that's an incredible, beautiful thing. And instead of just going from group to group, marriage to marriage, relationship to relationship, job to job, your whole life looking for something you will never find, realize that God is calling you to have it now. And simply to realize that it's in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, as we close out, I want to ask us today, how deep are your relationships? There's really three things about our friendships in the church that we need to probably look at. One, are they deep? Do you go deep with people? Do you ask the questions? Do you share the stuff? Now, not everybody. That's overwhelming. But, you know, people. Are you deep with, with your friends? Are you deep with the people in the church that are around you, in your D group, in your small group? Are you reciprocating? That's a big one. You're really good at receiving all the benefits of friendship, but you don't give them. You got eight friends who are coming to your house bringing the Bible and snack over. Well, what are you doing? Are you reciprocating? Because that brother or sister needs some love too. They need some giving. They need some help. Or are you just, come on, bring it, bring it. And then when it stops, you're like, no one loves me anymore. How about you give? How can you give? How can you serve? How can you reciprocate? How can you be? And that's what Jesus did, right? He reciprocated. And lastly, are they spiritual? Are our relationships deep? Are they spiritual? And are they reciprocated? We need to ask ourselves these questions. And I got to say, I, I believe there are some pretty incredible relationships in this room. Some amazing friendships. Amazing friendships outside this room. But for most of us, I believe that we look at this and we say there is something to be desired. There is something to be desired here. And some of us, I believe, we have to take a good hard look at this. And the last thing I want to close out with is this passage is this passage slaps our perspective on modern church in the face. Because he says, you know what? Do you know why I write this? Because I want you to have fellowship with us. I want you to have fellowship with us. Now, he's not saying I want to fellowship with you not the verb. I want you to have fellowship with us. I want you to share in what we share in. I want to be together. I want to fight this fight together. I want to work together with you on this. And by the way, you know who our fellowship is with also? The Father and the Son. So every time someone says, ah, I don't like your church. I'm going to go to a different church, but I still love God and I'm still with God and I'm still with Jesus, but I'm going to go to this other church instead. I go right to 1 John 1 and say, our fellowship is with Christ. Do you believe that? Oh, of course I believe that. Of course. Of course I believe with God. Yes, yes, yes. Our fellowship is with God. So why do you not want to have fellowship with us? We've got to stop trying to make things easy. I'm not saying we're the only church. I'm not saying we're the only one who's got the truth. I'm saying it's, it's, an, it's a cop-out. Because you're running away from someone or something. And whether you go to a different church or not, you're taking your heart with you. And it's just going to happen again. And if we really care about each other, we're going to have those conversations because we don't, want, we don't want each other to go around life like that, just waiting for someone to mess up and then jumping, jumping, jumping. Perhaps God put that difficult brother in your life to help you deal with your lack of love. Perhaps God put that sister in your life to deal, so you can deal with your lack of patience or your condescension or your, your lack of compassion. And if we take a look at it like that, we can say, oh my goodness. Amen. And you know what? If we can all be this way, if we can ima- imagine if we all had this heart. Imagine if we all had deep, reciprocated spiritual relationships. We would have great assurance of our salvation. That's actually why he writes the book. Chapter 5 talks about that. And we would actually not be anxious about our salvation. When you have people who leave the church and start teaching different things, everyone starts to get nervous about if they're saved or not. But Paul, uh, John says, rather, listen. 
It's not about all those things you have to do. It's do you know Jesus? And can we appreciate the simplicity of that command or what? Do you know Jesus? But if we could just get to know Jesus, experience him, hear him, touch him, listen to him, we would have the deepest relationships, the deepest friendships in Charlottesville and all the world. We would reciprocate generosity with generosity. We would not be entitled and just think that everyone needs to come to us. We would help one another dig deeper spiritually and therefore become more mature. And we would share this message, this Jesus, with all whom we come across. And then our joy would be complete. And as John says, I'm doing this because I want to be together. And you know what? That'll make me feel joy. Fellowship is not just about being together. It's about enjoying it. And that's what God wants for each and every one of us. We have to do the hard work of getting to know Christ first. Amen. Let's go after together. Let's rebuild these bridges and let's not let anything stand in the way of understanding the joy that God wants to uh, give to all of us. Amen.